When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today on the Everything 80s podcast was the great Muppet caper Jim Henson's very best work. Hey there, what's happening? Welcome back to the Everything 80s podcast. I'm Jamie. Thanks for coming on out. And with an amazing body of work that has entertained and inspired millions, which one of Jim Henson's creations was possibly his greatest? This is a look at The Great Muppet Caper, which came out in 1981, was a mystery musical comedy set in England. It told the story of the Muppets traveling to England to report a jewel heist, but ends up with Kermit connecting with Miss Piggy while all of them foil another robbery. So that's what we're going to be looking at today and why this, I believe, is some of the best stuff Uh, Jim Henson ever did. Before we get to that, if you haven't already, subscribe wherever you find your podcast, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, all that good stuff. I should be there. Okay, here we go. So here's my own quick story to start this off. So The Great Muppet Caper was really unique to me because I'm from Canada, but I partly grew up in England and The Great Muppet Caper was set there. So the first time I ever saw it was in the country it was based, so it seemed really natural to me. This was something I always associated with England, and it was sort of the coming together of two things I loved. And, you know, there obviously, I mean, the work that the Jim Henson Company has done is monumental. I mean, from classics like The Muppets Take Manhattan, Labyrinth, The Dark Crystal, Fraggle Rock, Dog City, if we're going really deep here. I've, I've loved, and I'm sure you have, loved everything Jim Henson has put out. Even the Cube, that's the deepest cut ever. Look that up on YouTube if you've never heard of Jim Henson and the Cube. But to me, The Great Muppet Caper was his best work. And this is this whole show is going to show you why I think that is. But first, here's a quick recap of what's this amazing and possibly very underrated movie, which still should be on Disney Plus if you can't track it down anywhere else. But we'll get to everything surrounding the self-awareness of the movie and the really unique breaking of the fourth wall, which wasn't a thing yet. But the movie starts out by laying the groundwork that this will be a unique viewing experience. And that's part of what makes this such a standout movie. So we see Fozzie, Kermit, and Gonzo in hot air balloons seemingly floating through the opening credits of the movie. This was shot in New Mexico where they set up the staging with animal destroying the scene. And then the camera goes through and zooms into a real balloon in the sky in the distance that actually had the Muppets and the performers in it. This takes us to an amazing street musical number that reveals they are reporters working for the Daily Chronicle newspaper. Their boss, played by Jack Warden, cannot believe they missed reporting on a jewel robbery that happened right under their noses. They convince their boss to fly them to London to report on the robbery that had happened to Lady Halliday. They fly ninth class and are jettisoned out of the plane, landing in a small pond, relieved to find out they have made it to England. They look for accommodations that take them to the Happiness Hotel, where every other Muppet in the world seems to be staying at the time. 
Side note here, there's obviously no continuity between the Muppet movie and the great Muppet caper. And the idea with this is we're kind of seemingly meeting them all again for the first time. That was a big Jim Henson thing. Everything was kind of standalone. And you just sort of had to jump into that narrative of whatever they were going with. Kermit Gonzo and Fozzie go to interview Lady Halliday, but mistakenly get Miss Piggy posing as Halliday. Kermit and Piggy fall for each other and plan a date with Piggy posing as her wealthy boss. She pretends to live in an English mansion where we get to see the great John Cleese in an awesome scene. While out at a nightclub, the real Lady Holiday shows up only to have her jewel stolen by her brother, Nicky, who doesn't have an English accent for some reason, but whatever. Nicky has also fallen from his piggy, but decides to frame her for the robbery as the heat is breathing down his neck. We get an awesome homage to early Hollywood musicals with a synchronized swimming performance and Miss Piggy is revealed as the thief. While she's in jail, the rest of the Muppets learn of the plot to steal Holiday's famous baseball diamond being held at the Mallory Gallery. While the inept Muppets go to thwart the robbery, Piggy breaks out of jail, and they all get credited for stopping the robbery. The Muppets then head back to the U.S. flying ninth class again and are tossed out by parachute. Here's a quick look at the cast of The Great Muppet Caper. Let's look at the human cast before looking at the key Muppet performers, as if you don't know who they already are, though. Lady Holiday was played by Dana Rigg. If you don't know her, she was Queen um, Elena Tyrell in Game of Thrones. She was also the evil queen in the 1987 live Snow White film. Nikki Halliday, an awesome performance by Charles Grodin, who was actually 48 years old when he filmed this, which is nuts. Those are the two key performers besides Jack Warden, who... Uh, was in movies like Used Cars, Problem Child, he was in Bewitched, and a lot of other things. And the rest are sort of classic Muppet cameos. But, you know, this is going back to 1981. So, you know, depending on your age, you might not have been familiar with them. But if you were like, you know, an adult growing up at the time, they were very clear, like Peter Falk, um, Joan Sanderson, Robert Morley. He was the man by the pond. He's a theater veteran in England. He's appeared in over 100 movies. Peter uh, Ustinov, he's the truck driver. Another English acting legend who appeared in things like Spartacus, Logan's Run. He was on The Muppet Show. And most importantly, if you know this, he was the voice of Dr. Snuggles. Uh, the Muppet performers, of course, Jim Henson played Kermit, Rolf, Dr. Teeth, Waldorf, the Swedish chef. I never knew that till this. I'm embarrassed to say. I had no idea he played the Swedish chef. He plays the Muppet newsman, and he also has a cameo in the movie. Frank Oz plays Fozzie, Miss Piggy, Animal, Sam the Eagle. He's also in the movie as a Chronicle reporter. Jerry Nelson plays Floyd, Pops, Lou Zealand, also cameo as uh, one of the men, men in the park. Richard Hunt is Scooter, Statler, Sweetums, Janice, Beaker. He's also cameoed as the cab driver. Dave Goltz plays Gonzo, Beauregard, Zoot, Dr. Bunsen, Honeydew, and Steve Whitmire is Rizzo the Rat and Ellipse. So one of the things that makes this amazing is the great music featured in The Great Muppet Caper. To me, it had some of the most memorable music of anything the Muppets had ever done. Music was the real backbone of everything Jim Henson was behind, and I think it's displayed best in this movie. The movie's theme was a mystery musical comedy and really is at the center of all his movies. Among other songs, some of the standouts in The Great Muppet Caper include The First Time It Happens, Hey, A Movie, Happiness Hotel, Stepping Out With a Star, Couldn't We Ride, with the extremely creepy shot of watching Muppets ride bikes. I don't know why that's so disturbing for some reason. The Muppets Take Manhattan and The Muppet Movie both had memorable songs, but I think during The Great Muppet Caper, they stayed with you more after watching it. I re- I've just rewatched this again 
recently and have had a bunch of these in my head. Though that one song, Nightlife, if you remember that, if you've seen it, is, I think, brutal. I mean, they can't all be Rainbow Connection, but whatever. The movie, however, is a real tribute to the grand tradition of movie movie musicals as well as variety shows, both at the core of all things Jim Henson. The first time it happens was actually nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Song, but lost to Arthur's Theme, if you know that one. Miss Piggy, however, won the Youth and Film Award for Best Young Musical Recording Artist for her performance in The First Time It Happens. So explain that one. So keeping all this in mind, what are a few more reasons why I think The Great Muppet Caper was Jim Henson's greatest work? But before we do that, let's take a quick break. So here's the first reason I think it's Jim Henson's best work. It was the only Muppet movie he ever directed. Henson pulled a lot of double duty in his time, um, probably actually more like quintuple duty with how much he was doing in the productions. Along with being the key performer, he was also the creative genius, writer, director, and producer. You obviously can't keep up all these things forever, but he had a great team around him, notably Frank Oz, who could take on directorial duties. Because he wore so many hats, The Great Muppet Caper was actually the only movie that Henson ever directed. Due to this, I believe this it has the, the utmost love and Henson care put into it for that reason. He was making this his total pet project and sharing his love for the golden age of Hollywood and movie musicals. I feel The Great Muppet Caper was the perfect showcase for Henson's whimsy, humor, the love of music, and all the extravagance. They, they all existed in his other projects, uh, but I feel it was showcased the best here. Okay, the next reason, The Great Muppet Caper captured the spirit of The Muppet Show. And again, depending on how old you are, you might not really know The Muppet Show, or it was a huge part of your childhood and upbringing. But The Muppet Show is an iconic part of television history, and it was a worldwide hit. It started out as two pilot episodes in 1974 and then in 1975 airing on ABC. The Muppet Show capitalized on the popularity of variety shows from the 70s, which were all about sketch comedy, musical bits, guest stars. You know, picture the Carol Burnett show, but everyone had a variety show at some point. Um, Johnny Cash had a variety show. Paul Lynn had his infamous... um, Halloween variety show special, which is glorious. Watch it on YouTube. The Muppet Show would run from 1976 to 1981 for 120 episodes. The whole world became familiar with all the different Muppet characters, and the opening theme song is one of the most famous in television history. The Muppet Show was nominated for an incredible 21 different Emmy Awards, winning four, while at the same time winning a Grammy BAFTA, and Peabody Award. The Great Muppet Caper was the first thing that came out after The Muppet Show ended, and it really brought the whole style to the big screen. Jim Henson said in an interview in 1981 with CBS News that with The Muppet Show, quote, they bring a guest into the Muppet world, and with the feature, we're taking the characters out into the real world, and that's a lot of fun. The original Muppet movie, even with its humor and music, was more of an origin story 
The Great Muppet Caper seemed to tap into the zaniness and chaos of The Muppet Show. I believe this was done as the world was now familiar with The Muppet Show and all the nuances to the characters and what made everyone tick. It was like they were able to spread their wings a bit more and make the type of uh, movie more in tune with what we had been watching on TV for the past five years. The Muppet Show was big with behind the scenes and seeing how the sausage is made. And I feel this is why they included so much self-reference and breaking of the fourth wall in the great Muppet caper. They were being very tongue in cheek with the production, showing that they were making a movie while it was happening. Again, that's very Muppet show ish throughout the movie. They often mock the conventions of most films and let you in on the joke, which you see this a lot today. It's very normal, but very groundbreaking at the time. Um, And sort of side note, the Muppet show in that backstage style was a big influence on shows like 30 Rock. Um, In 30 Rock, you had even even those like mockumentary type shows like The Office kind of borrow from that. In 30 Rock, you had the behind the scenes of what is involved with putting on a weekly variety show. Um, And, you know, with 30 Rock, they often had Muppets on the show. There are even similarities between the two shows and the characters. So Liz Lemon is definitely Kermit, Jenna Maroney, definitely Miss Piggy, Kenneth is Scooter, Tracy Morgan is considered Gonzo, Jack is considered Sam the Eagle. So if you're watching 30 Rock Back, you can really see that crossover now. Okay, Um, next reason here, The Great Muppet Caper continued that English connection. England, The Muppets, and Jim Henson all go hand in hand. Henson embraced filming in the UK as The Muppet Show was first embraced by the English. When those two Muppet Show pilots were developed, ABC actually wasn't going to go forward with them. Henson was then shopping the concept around to the other networks who also weren't interested. It was British producer Lou Grade who thought the idea was great and wanted to co-produce The Muppet Show. I think that's where maybe the character name of Lou Zealand comes from because it's spelled L-E-W. The entire run of the show would be filmed in England at the famous Elstree Studios, also the home of Star Wars. This was pretty remarkable as the concept of filming outside the U.S., let alone overseas, hadn't really been done before. When the show debuted in England in 19, uh, in sorry September 1976, it would start by attracting 14 million viewers. This was instrumental in the success of The Muppets as it was broadcast on ITV along with their other franchises, allowing it to have more worldwide syndication. Just one year after it debuted in England, it was being shown in over 100 different countries. Henson would continue to embrace this British connection by not only setting the Great Muppet Caper in England, but filming it there too. He would also return to film The Dark Crystal there and even Labyrinth. If you're not a Dark Crystal fan, this is another time to sort of go back and rewatch some of these classics, which I think is still on Netflix. I'm not sure. Things come and go so quick there. And then also the new Dark Crystal series that came out in 2019, which is so phenomenal. And I think a lot of people miss this thing and didn't appreciate how unbelievable it is. And the fact like it looks like this awesome CGI production, but it actually uses very little CGI and has a lot of real effects and real puppets. And so even if you remotely like The Dark Crystal, you need to watch this series. If you've never seen any of these things, go back and watch The Dark Crystal first. And it is a bit of a, you know, as we're talking about this fun, whimsical musical movie in The Great Muppet Caper, Henson did have this sort of sidetrack with these darker productions, specifically, you know, Labyrinth as well. But The Dark Crystal is too. And there's a lot of violence. There's, again, a lot of darkness in this thing. 
And he always thought it was important to show both sides of the coin to kids and that it was okay for kids to be scared from time to time. And they do need to realize that out of the darkness, you know, comes the light, not to get too deep, but that everything isn't always, you know, happy, sunshiny, rainbow sort of thing, which is a big theme of the Muppets in general. But with these other side projects, he was able to go a little deeper in sort of that tradition of, you know, the Grimm's fairy tales and sort of that thing. Also the same stuff, you know, Disney had borrowed over the years with their earlier movies from Snow White to Sleeping Beauty and all that stuff. Um, again, it, it's, I mean, depending on your viewpoint, you might not agree with it, but then he thought it was, you know, okay, again, for children to experience some of that fear within the production because, that you know you can't get to that other side and that that happiness without going through that and and the turmoil so i mean the if the dark crystal was a really um kind of i don't want to say disappointing movie for for fans because a lot of them were going into it thinking they were seeing another muppet movie and it wasn't anything close to that so it got a lot of backlash but it shouldn't because it needs to be its standalone thing like kermit's not going to appear in the dark crystal and as more years go by, you see how what artistic achievement this thing is. It, Labyrinth too, but not on the level of the Dark Crystal. Labyrinth is still brilliant, but but both of these are a real departure from everything Muppets. And if I'd forgotten to mention, the Dark Crystal and the Great Muppet Caper were basically filmed back to back at the same time while they were in England. Let's look at a few more Great Muppet Caper fun facts. Diana Rigg, who played Lady Halliday. Um, only really signed on for the movie because her daughter was such a huge fan of the Muppets and specifically Miss Piggy. Um, and <laughs> she tells a story of going, uh, bringing her daughter on the set one day and her daughter bursting into tears when she saw Miss Piggy. And then turns out her daughter was terrified because the actual puppet of Miss Piggy that they were using at the time was j- pretty big. She was expecting this short little, like someone the size of her um, and that freaked her out. So this is funny here, speaking of Miss Piggy and having the different sizes, because, you know, depending on the shots, um, you know, there's scenes in Muppet movies where there's human actors in the costumes for faraway shots. Uh, Picture Miss Piggy roller skating in The Muppets Take Manhattan, as an example. So there were several of these Miss Piggy specifically for the swimming pool musical scene. And that one scene alone called for 40 interchangeable <laughs> Miss Piggy heads with seven different bodies to be able to coordinate all that. This was brutal for Frank Oz. So they had to make a custom-made heated pool that was 50 by 80 feet on the soundstage. So Frank Oz had to take three days of scuba training to be able to work all this together to you know be underwater and to work a puppet. He was underwater for the week, he said. And on top of everything else, the scene called for these special water-resistance Miss Piggy puppets. The problem is they all tended to rip very easily. That's why they needed the 40 different heads and the different bodies. I don't know if you like taking away the sort of mystique of things like The Muppet Show, but go and look at any videos or pictures of how the shows are made and the way the the puppeteers um, and the creative team work these whole things and the way they have to build these like drop stages where they're like six feet um, higher than normal so the puppeteers can be under them and be able to walk around and how dangerous it is for the human cast because there's all these like holes and trap doors. Again, it sort of takes away that whole mystique. 
but it, the stuff these performers do was nuts. Specifically, if you go back to the original Muppet movie, you know that opening shot where the helicopter um, kind of flies through into the swamp and it comes down to Kermit sitting on the log playing Rainbow Connection. Jim Henson is actually underneath. That's a real like pond. He's underneath the water in this little capsule bubble reaching up through this log to perform Kermit. So he's underneath this whole thing in this little like space pod thing. And it was just amazing the stuff that these people would do to get these shots. Here's a good example of that. In the scene where the Muppets are having to scale the the that castle sort of thing that they're trying to get into, um, they're chased by the dogs and they have to get up the drain pipe near the climax of the movie. That was almost impossible there for them to film. Uh, they had all these different puppeteers uh, controlling all these different puppets and they had to lift them upwards in rapid succession. They had to make 11 tiny elevators to get it up. So since space was tight, each one had a small wooden platform that was about the size of a dresser drawer. They're actually up there when this is happening. Every Muppet uh, handler involved with the scene had to stand on one of these without bumping into anyone else who was around them. So the smallest malfunction would have sent like several people crashing dozens of feet to the ground. I forgot to mention this at the beginning. Um, this goes a little deep, and you probably didn't notice this, but in the end credits, they list um, someone named Amy Van Gilder as Muppet Doctor, and there's an actual story here, So, and it has to do with that opening hot air balloon shot. So, you know, we open with them flying in the hot air, air balloon, then the trio crash lands into the busy street. For Fozzie, or for the puppet of Fozzie, it was a little rough. Part of the scene was filmed on location, like I said, in New Mexico. And at one point, the Fozzie puppet was torched by the propane burner. So this Amy Van Gilder, who was one of the veteran puppet makers for the Henson Company, had to come through um, and rescue and fix him up on site. They didn't think to bring backup puppets. They thought this was an easy shot. She also makes an appearance in the movie. She's, um, when with the Jim Henson cameo when he's eating at that fancy restaurant where they do the musical water scene. Um, she's sitting there with them. Okay. One last one before we wrap it up. And it has to do with the sort of running joke through, uh, the great Muppet caper about Kermit and Fozzie being identical twins. Even though one is clearly a bear and one is a frog and it's never explained in the movie. And it has to do with that, um, the Muppet movie from 2011, which again is really good. And, maybe underrated again maybe a lot of people missed it or whatever and jason siegel was in the movie and he grew up always thinking that joke was hilarious that kermit and um, fozzy were identical twins so he recycles that joke for the muppets which i never caught so in the in that movie siegel plays gary and he's a human obviously who has a brother walter remember that, that who is happens to be a muppet again it Weird, the script doesn't say anything, but Siegel said this was inspired by that weird Kermit Fozzie identical twin relationship in The Great Muppet Caper. Check that out. Also check out The Muppet Show, which was out a few years ago, I think on ABC. I don't even know if it lasted a season, maybe two seasons. This thing was so good. Again, people either ignored it, missed it, didn't appreciate it. It does this sort of double self-referential thing again where it's done in the mockumentary TV style, like again, like The Office, like 30 Rock, where it's, you know, they're talking to the camera, they're, they're following them around. 
so they're showing the production of how a show works based on the Muppet show, which was already a show about how a TV show works. It's so good. It's so well written. Again, no one saw it. It's uh, people missed out on this thing. Okay. So that's the rundown on the great Muppet caper. One of my favorite things done by Jim Henson. And I believe it's, it's his best work. I, he took all the aspects that he had poured into the Muppets and he put it into one movie. It's fun, musical, wacky, doesn't take itself too seriously. All the traits that are generally embraced by Henson and the Muppets. I think it's the most fast-paced Muppet movie. Pulls you along for the ride and just keeps moving the whole, whole time. After all these years and all the different Jim Henson content, it's the one I always find myself wanting to watch the most. I don't know if you feel that way, but that's why, to me, it's a standout. Okay, we're done. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed this. Hope you remember this movie or it's motivating to go back and watch it again. But thanks for taking the time to listen to the show again. If you haven't already, subscribe wherever you find your podcast. I should be there. I'll be back soon with a new episode. Don't you dare miss it. So I'm going to wrap it up there. Thanks for listening. If you like this show, make sure you subscribe uh, wherever you find podcasts, probably Apple Podcasts or Stitcher Radio, where, wherever you find them, I should be there. And if you, like I said, if you want to see more detail on this and the pictures and more of um, the whole written blog format of this, go to everything80spodcast.com slash one. It'll be all there. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you soon. 